Romans chapter 1, and we're going to pick up where we left off in verse number 8. We're going to read down through verse number uh, 16, I'm sorry, 15 is the end of that next paragraph. Romans 1 verse 8, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I made mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end you may be established." That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, that oft times I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that, you might have, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So, as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on this passage as we consider it. Lord God, I realize that uh, there's nothing that is in me that's any good. But Lord, as I try to expound your word that is perfect, that I would communicate with understanding, and the, and the people listening would, would understand uh, the depth that is here, the rejoicing that is in this passage, and that um, we would be helped and encouraged because of it. Have your will, perfect will done in everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Today I want to bring a message entitled, Rejoicing Because of Rome. Rejoicing Because of Rome. I want to start out with giving, by giving you a little historical context. This, this book was written around 56 A.D., and I know that because I read a, pulled up all the ancient manuscripts in the ancient library in Washington, D.C. No, I'm sorry. I, I, Reese has a chronological Bible that he put out, and he has everything dated, and I don't know how he came up with all those. Um, some of them are so exact that I'm like, really, man? How do you know that? All right, but um, if you... Pull it up on the Google, it gives you the same dates, okay? So everything, I did try to corroborate the dates that I'm using tonight, tonight, this morning. Uh, so this was written somewhere around 56 A.D. So 50 years after the Lord uh, uh, came. And it's written to people who live in Rome. So it's not just to Romans. There's Romans that lived all throughout the unknown world, all around the Mediterranean Sea, but it's actually written to people in Rome. If you uh, look at uh, chapter 16 and verse 7 as well of this chapter, to all that be in Rome. Okay, So he's talking to Romans that live in Rome proper. He's addressing this letter actually to several churches that existed in the city of Rome. It's not just one church. If you notice, um, when he gives his salutation, he's talking about the saints. He doesn't say to the church at Rome. He does that at Thessalonica. He does that at Ephesus because there was a church 
at Ephesus. There was a church at Philippi. Okay, so this is, this is written to a group of churches uh, that were, had been established there in Rome. And that, that we'll see further later on in uh, chapter 16 as well. Uh, we'll understand more about that. So if you think about the condition of Rome in 56 AD, who, what emperor had just come to power? Does anybody know? Two years earlier, Nero had just come to power in 54. And if you don't know anything about Nero, Nero was one of the most violent and unhinged emperors that Rome ever knew. Okay, and they had some doozies. Uh, just to list a couple of, of the atrocities that Nero himself did. Okay, so this isn't talking about the corruption of the whole Roman court. We're talking about just one guy, right? He had his mother killed. He had his two of his wives killed because uh, one of them he, he just got angry at and killed her. Um, and the other one, he said that she was infertile. And so he needed to marry someone else, so he divorced her. So it was was the same Henry VIII thing all over again, okay? But when the people got upset because he banished her, and there was an uproar among the people, like, this is wrong. How can you, why, you can't do this to your wife. You can't treat your wife this way. He committed, he accused her of committing adultery and then had her executed, okay? So this is a, this is a nutty guy. He's going to do whatever it takes to get his way. Uh, He... Married a couple of guys, um, so sodomy was was in the highest uh, throne in the land. It was something that was common. And then after the great fire of Rome in 64, which it was suspected that he caused because he had building plans to create a great golden palace on the site where the fire was started. Coincidence? How about that? Mm-hmm. He blamed the Christians. Okay, because can't, he can't. Everyone doesn't want everyone looking at Nero, saying, "Hey, uh, don't you have some building plans for that section of town over there?" And no, no, no. The Christians did it. Okay, and so um, this is when you hear about the stories about using Christians as torches in his garden. Okay, he would cover them with tar and light them on fire, stake them on a pole in his garden. Okay, uh, messed up guy. During this time, the Colosseum was in a full swing, right? So all of the things that went on with the Colosseum, uh, people being brutally murdered and tortured. It wasn't just Christians. They murdered and killed anybody that they felt like, slaves and uh, anyone who crossed the government. They would go to be a gladiator somewhere, or they would be have some part in a play. And uh, human life was not something that was treasured or valued in Rome at the time, okay? So you're just talking about a, a society that is given over to all kinds of immorality and just terrible things, um, uh, just a lack of, of respect or any kind of uh, human decency or care for others. And yet this place of sin and degradation and misery and pain and all of those things, in this place there were churches where people were called to be saints and who walked about the streets every day, lived their lives, and tried to win others to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
tried to rescue them from the pain and the agony and the misery that they saw all around them. I mean, imagine the, the, the mental state that people would have to be in to, to see all of that and think, this is it? What an opportunity. And, they, and these people at Rome were faithful to use the, this opportunity of all the, the, the filth that was around them to point them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And beyond that, the church at Rome, the churches at Rome, encouraged Paul so much so that the thought of meeting them excited him, as Donald Trump used to say, bigly. He was very excited to meet them. Paul did not start the church at Rome. He hadn't been to Rome up until this point. His missionary journeys took him through Macedonia, up into Greece, up into Syria, up into Asia. But he, didn't, he hadn't been to Rome yet. He didn't start this church. But if you look in verse, seven, in verse 8, it says, Your faith is spoken of throughout the whole earth. The faith of these people in the churches at Rome had spread abroad, and Paul heard about it, and he was greatly encouraged to hear that, and he was excited to, find, to, want to meet them. The prospect of meeting them excited him very much. The theme of this passage, and what I want us to, to understand and consider today, is there is no greater encouragement on this earth to the angels of the Lord's churches. That's the messengers of the Lord's, of the Lord's churches. So our pastor, uh, Pastor Webb, Pastor Bobby, you know, Pastor Bob Mitchell, uh, pastors of churches, Pastor Custer, there is nothing more encouraging on this earth to those, those men than the Lord's churches being faithful to do the Lord's will. There's no greater joy on this earth than that the Lord finds than for His churches being faithful to do His will. And that's what I want us to consider from this passage, the encouragement that is found in the, in the Lord's church when it is faithful to do his will. The first thing that we see here in, in verses uh, 7 and 8 is the power of the gospel. In verse 7, to all that are Rome, beloved, I'm sorry, verse 8, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Now, the then known world at the time would have been uh, up, to, up through Britain, down through Europe, and across into Persia. There wasn't really a lot known about uh, India or the Asian, Eastern Asian countries uh, at the time. But that's a, that's a large expanse. And the faith of these Romans uh, had spread throughout the whole world. This means that the people that attended the churches there at Rome, they were the real deal. They loved the Lord. They understood the price that had been paid for them at Calvary. And they were living godly in Christ Jesus. They were called to be saints. They understood that. They were following the, the commandments. They were following uh, the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. In their business dealings, they were honest. In, in the... In the uh, situations around them, they were faithful to to support the weak and comfort the feeble-minded. They were 
they were help, a, a help in the community. They were people that uh, showed the love of Christ. The second thing I noticed about them, in order for them to have uh, spread their faith throughout the whole world, is they were fulfilling the Great Commission. They were faithful to be telling others about the grace that was in their hearts. They understood that uh, the Lord had given them the authority to go out and preach the gospel to every creature. So in a town of wickedness and sin, they were in the marketplace witnessing to people around them, trying to show them the love, love of Christ. At their workplace, they were faithful to say, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian and I want you to understand the love of the truth as well. How else did, was their faith spread throughout the whole world? How else did everyone know about it? Well, probably during this time, some of them had been thrown into the Colosseum and martyred. So that would have spread the fame of the people there in Rome as well, some of them being killed in that way. But the gospel is powerful. It, is, it had spread throughout the whole world at that time. And... Just as an aside, if you think about when Jesus came in the fullness of time, the, the scripture says, everyone in the then known world would have spoken Greek. It was a trade language. And because Jesus came when he did, that language being spoken everywhere, the gospel could spread very quickly. And uh, these people were faithful to use the tools that were at their disposal to tell others the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. So first of all, the power of the gospel in, verses eight, in verse 8 the second thing I see is the prayer of Paul. In uh, verse number 9, it says, For God as my witness with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. When we go to, verse, we go to Romans 16, let's just turn over there real quick. Romans 16, we'll read a, a snippet of this. We'll come back to this later. But if you look in Romans 16... I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Centria. Uh, verse 3, Greek, Priscilla, and Aquila, my helpers in, G- in Christ Jesus. Uh, verse 6, Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are a note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. So they were born again before Paul, and they probably helped Paul. Um, in, in understanding the, the truths of the, the Lord Jesus Christ and how he fulfilled all of that, but, but maybe how he fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies. Greet Ampleus, my beloved in the Lord. Salute Urbane. Salute Stachys. Uh, Apelles. All these names. These were people who were members of the churches in Rome. And Paul knew them by name. These people had been a blessing to him in particular. And he prayed for them specifically. He knew their needs. He knew what was going on with them. And he prayed for them. He didn't just say, Lord, bless the church in Rome. He knew these people. He, could, he, knew, he knew their names. He knew what was going on with them. He, he knew uh, how they had been used of the Lord. And so he prayed for them. He prayed that they would meet soon. Obviously there, he, he says, making requests if it, if by any means now at length 
I might have a prosperous journey. So he's praying to the Lord, saying, Lord, I, I really want to go meet these people. I know I have a lot of things on my plate. Um, if you guys know, uh, the Apostle Paul was kind of a busy guy. He uh, was going all, all over the then-known world preaching the gospel. Um, in a couple places, he got delayed a little bit by being thrown in jail and, and beaten. Um, but uh, beyond that, you know, he didn't have much going on. But so he would pray to the Lord, say, Lord, please, I really want to go meet these, uh, some of these people in, in Rome. I've heard about them. I know them by name. I know about the churches there. I want to go meet them. And this was a constant request that Paul made to the Lord. Lord, if you could free up some time in my schedule, I want to go meet the people there in Rome. And uh, this is something he prayed continually. Uh, He prayed that he would be able to preach to them. In uh, verse number uh, 12... I'm sorry, verse 11, it says, I long to, to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end you may be established. Okay, okay. So there's a lot of mysticism and, and uh, confusion around the spiritual gifts. Okay? And if you read on, though, in verse number 12, it says, that is. Okay, so now I'm going to explain the spiritual gift that I want to impart to you. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Okay, so comfort is a spiritual gift, really. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14.3, you can turn there if you want, I'm just going to read it. 1 Corinthians 14.3 says, But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men edification, exhortation, and comfort. And in verse 14, he's talking about some spiritual gifts that people have. He lists tongues as one of them. And he mostly it's about tongues because people were speaking in, in languages that everyone else didn't understand. And in Corinth, it was, like a, it was just a free-for-all. So if uh, Brother Chris spoke Chinese and uh, Brother Addison spoke Mexican, that's, that's not even a word, language. Uh, if Mandy over there spoke Russian, okay, they would, they would, whenever they felt like it, they would just stand up and start speaking in their, in their language. Okay? Does anyone else know those languages here? Anybody else speak Spanish? Okay. So we, we wouldn't, the church wouldn't, have any, wouldn't get anything from that. It wouldn't be edifying to anyone else. Maybe it was something really powerful and really helpful, but it was in an, in an unknown language. Okay? So it was just wasting time, okay? and it wasn't, it wasn't edifying to anyone. So that's what he dealt with a lot. But in that context, he lists edification, exhortation, and comfort. This is a spiritual gift to be able to comfort the saints. And that's what Paul wanted to impart to them, that spiritual gift of being comforted together with them. Maybe even encouraged is another way to say in that. Um, Comfort, encourage, kind of the, the same, along the same lines. And what was the purpose? He wanted to establish this. He wanted to give them, impart to them some spiritual gift, the spiritual gift of comfort. Why? To the end that they might be established. He realized the situation that they were in there in Rome. They understood the adversaries that they were facing on a day-to-day basis. They understood, he understood the pressure and the, um, the tendency of people to look around them and say, wow, this is kind of a dangerous city that I live in. Maybe I won't be quite so bold about speaking the truth today. But no, he, he wanted to go there and he wanted to comfort them and encourage them in the things of the Lord so that they would be established, that they wouldn't let their faith waver, that they wouldn't be beaten down and stooped down 
and, and discouraged by the things that were around them in the world. They wouldn't be discouraged by the people around them that were destroying themselves. They wouldn't be overcome with sorrow at people at work that maybe told them a situation, maybe a, a decision that they were thinking about making. And they knew because they understand human nature, because they, they know the Bible, they know the heart of God, they know you're going to destroy yourself if you do that. And then with heartaches, see them follow through with that. He didn't want them to be overwhelmed with that. He wanted them to be established in the Lord Jesus Christ, be faithful so that when maybe that friend comes back and say, wow, I really destroyed my, my life, I really destroyed myself, they would still be standing strong and established in the things of the Lord and could preach to them the gospel. So Paul wanted to impart the spiritual gift of comfort to these people in Rome. He wanted them to be comforted by the mutual faith of you and me. He prayed that he would be able to reach some lost people in Rome. In verse number 13, Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oft times I purposed to come unto you, but I was let hitherto, I was hindered. That's the old English word, let. It's not to allow, it's to hinder. It's the opposite. But I was hindered hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. Paul says, I've been in Ephesus, I've been in Philippi, I've been in Corinth, I've established churches everywhere, I've seen people saved in all these places, but I want to go bag some of those Romans. I want to go witness to the people there in the capital city where all that sin and all that misery and all of that danger is. I want to go preach to them. I want to get some fruit over there in those, in the, from those Romans. I want some of them to be saved from the ministry that I have. Paul was fired up about this stuff. He loved the Lord. He wanted other people to love the Lord and know Him. He wanted the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to abound in others' hearts as well. And he, was, he wasn't worried at all about going into the thick of things. If you, if you notice, he went everywhere that he went. He went right into the synagogues first, right? He went right in there where the Jews hated Paul. He had been a, a Pharisee of the Pharisees before. Everyone knew Paul. And yet he would go right into the synagogues first. This is a guy that was fearless. He wanted to go right there where the action was. He wanted to go right there to the capital of Rome and have some fruit among the lost people there. He was passionate for souls. He wanted people to be saved. When you read through these verses, there's seven verses where Paul is just pouring out his passion to go see these people at Rome. Why is he so fired up about Rome? I got to think about that. Like, why? There's got to be something more here. There's lost people all over the world. Why isn't he fired up to go to Britain? Right? Why isn't he fired up to go to Spain? It, actually, Paul was planning to go to Spain eventually too. Okay? He didn't. Um, the, uh, uh, the understanding of, of limitations and physical limitations really didn't uh, register that much with Paul. He's like, I'm going to go everywhere and preach the gospel. He was fired up, even though at this time he was 60. 61 years old in AD 56. He's an old dude. Sorry. 60 years old, right? Still traveling around, putting himself in, hard, in harm's way, preaching the gospel. But why particularly Rome? Turn with me over to Acts chapter 18. I'm not, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I thought this was really cool. Acts chapter 18. 
The Bible says, after these things, in verse 1, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudus had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came to them. Because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought for their occupation. They were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogues every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timotheus were come to Macedonia, Paul was pressed in spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. It doesn't really say anything more specific about Priscilla and Aquila here, but they were there when he proclaimed to the people there in the synagogue, because they were Jews, they would have been at the synagogue, that Jesus was the Christ. If you read on down in Acts later... Let me see, let me go to verse number 24. So Paul has left Corinth. He has sailed on to Ephesus. And in verse 24 it says, And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. I'm sorry, if you read on in here, uh, Aquila and Priscilla accompany Paul to Ephesus. All right, that, would, that would make more sense. Um, let me see, where is this? In verse 18, And Paul, after this, tarried there yet a good while, then took his leave of the brethren, and sailed thence into Syria. And with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Centria, for he had a vow, and he came to Ephesus. Okay, so Priscilla and Aquila accompany Paul now on his missionary journey to Ephesus. Then Paul, he's going to go on down to Antioch, And he leaves Priscilla and Aquila at Ephesus. And now we're in verse 24. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. He spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When when Aquila and Priscilla had heard... They took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote and exhorted the disciples to receive him, who when he was come, helped them much, which had believed through grace. For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So this guy, Apollos, comes in. And he knows only the baptism of John. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he's going around preaching that very fervently and convincing the Jews that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But he doesn't understand that Jesus is the Christ. And so Priscilla and Aquila take him aside and explain these things. Like, Jesus was the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. He was baptized by John, fulfilling all righteousness. He was the one that was to lead us into life eternal. He's the one who died on, on the cross of Calvary, fulfilling all the Old Testament prophecies of Isaiah 53. And one day he's coming again, and he's going to be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the prince of peace, and he's going to reign in his kingdom forever. They explained to him all of that. And so now Apollos is equipped. How did Priscilla and Aquila know that? Because they were there when Paul showed up in Corinth and went into the synagogue and explained that Jesus is the Christ. And he explained all the Old Testament scriptures and how it was fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Priscilla and Aquila believed. And so they were able to come alongside of Apollos and say, Apollos, you have a great gift here. You're very eloquent and you're very fervent and you're very passionate. But 
you kind of need to know about this. And they were able to help Apollos. And Apollos was greatly used. But Priscilla and Aquila were greatly used in that situation as well. If you pick up on verse number 18, verse 2, it says that Aquila was from where? Italy. Okay. But they had been banned by Claudius. Claudius was the emperor right before Nero. Nero took over in 54. So at this time, Claudius is still the emperor. But by 54, he had died. So sometime between 54 and 56, there's an opportunity now for maybe some Jews to get back into Rome because the Roman emperor had died. Conjecture, maybe. Let's continue. Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila parted ways in Ephesus. But if you look in chapter 16 of Romans... What's it say in verse 3? Greet Priscilla and Aquila in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. They've been in Ephesus. They've been in Corinth. They've been a blessing everywhere that they've gone. They've, they've helped the saints. They've encouraged the churches. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Now, the going, the going theory is that they had a church in their house in Corinthians, okay? Because we have an Acts where they're in Corinth, and it says in Corinth, at Corinth, in, First Corinth, in 2 Corinthians 16, it says, Priscilla and Aquila salute you, especially they of the church in their house, okay? The difference is Priscilla and Aquila salute you, they send to Corinth, the church at Corinth, they send their greetings. They didn't have a church in their house at Corinth. They had a church in their house in Rome. And so when Paul writes the letter to the Romans in, verse num- in chapter 16, he says, hey, all of you saints and the churches around there in Rome, I want you to go greet Priscilla and Aquila who've laid down their necks for me, have been a blessing to me, who've been a blessing to all the churches of the Gentiles You greet them. I love them in the Lord. Why did Paul want to go see these Romans so bad? He wanted to go see his brother and sister Priscilla and Aquila. He wanted to go see the fruit that God had abounded to their account, having gone and established a church in their home there in the the front lines of Rome. He wanted to go hug them again. He wanted to see them again. He was fired up. How encouraging for a man who had been establishing churches tirelessly his whole life to hear of a church established somewhere that he didn't have anything to do with but a church that was faithful churches that were faithful over there in Rome how encouraging was that to him how encouraging is it to us to hear of other churches that we fellowship with doing well in the Lord I know it was really encouraging when we heard that the Teals were going out to uh, Nevada that's big news that's awesome When we get news back from them, that's encouraging. The Lord is doing a work all around the world. He's doing a work all across the United States. The Lord is using His people to fulfill the Great Commission. 
to establish churches. Hey, man, that's encouraging. And Paul was feeling that. Paul was getting all fired up about this. I'm going to go see my brothers and sisters over there in Rome. But we notice the purpose of Paul was postponed. He had a desire to go over there and see everybody, but he couldn't go. Why? And you see that over again in Romans uh, 13. I was let hitherto. I haven't been able to go. During this time, Paul visited the church of Antioch. He went there to minister to them. Antioch was where he was sent out of. That was his home church. He needed to go report to his home church. Give them an update on how while the Lord was working in Ephesus and Philippi and Colossae and Thessalonica. He had to give a report. He had to go back to his home church, talk to them, meet with the brethren there, encourage their hearts. He was needed over at the church of Ephesus. He had already founded that church, but he needed to go back there and establish them. Why? Because that was a church that he started. He had an obligation and responsibility there to help establish that church. He was over there in Ephesus. From Ephesus, from Ephesus he wrote first and second, or sorry, he wrote first Corinthians from Ephesus in AD fifty four. A couple problems over there in Corinth, I weren't there. He had a few issues to deal with over there in Corinth. Paul, you can't go to Rome yet. I need you over in Corinth. From Ephesus, he goes to Macedonia. And from Macedonia, he writes 2 Corinthians. Finally, he leaves Macedonia and he goes over to Corinth. And from the letters that he wrote to them, we know of some of the situations that that they were dealing with. Uh, There was was, uh, fighting and strife among the, the saints there. There was backbitings and debates and arguments and fighting and there was chaos in the church. Everyone was getting up and just talking in their own language randomly and there's just confusion and all of this stuff going on. There was sin in the church that had to be dealt with. Paul had to defend his own apostleship because they were questioning whether Paul was actually legit. You really serve the Lord. We don't know about you, Paul. Paul had some problems he had to go deal with wouldn't it have been nice just to be just go do what you want hey i want to go see them guys over there at rome i want to go have me a good time y'all people in corinth figure it out that'd have been that'd have been the easiest thing to do that'd have been the fun thing to do but the lord said no paul i need you to go deal with these problems and paul was faithful he was a shepherd he wasn't a hireling that would run from the sheep He was faithful. When the sheep were in hard times, he stayed to help them, even though it's not what he wanted. It's what was needed. And he was faithful to do that. From Corinth, he went to Philippi. From Philippi, he went to Troas. Then he went back to Ephesus, and he was in Cyprus. He had all these places that he needed to be. Now, we know how the rest of the story goes. He ends up going to Jerusalem. And whether or not that was where he was supposed to go, we don't know. But he did end up going to Rome in bonds because he appealed to Caesar. 
But what's pretty awesome about that is regardless of how Paul got there, when he got there, the Lord worked it out so that he was in a house kept by one guard and he was able to receive visitors and receive friends as he willed. So despite the circumstances leading up to how he got there, despite what you would think about a Christian being captured by the Romans and being held in custody, despite how you'd think he'd be in a jail somewhere down below Nero's palace in the dungeon, getting his fingernails torn off, no, he was in a house by himself with one Roman guard, and he got to see his Priscilla and Aquila. He got to see his saints there in the Church of Rome. He got to visit with them. He got to be encouraged. He got to comfort them. He got to preach to them. Amen. The Lord can use any situation. And, and God knew that Paul needed some comfort. God knew that it would have been good for the people there at Rome to be established by Paul and to spend some time with him. And he was there for two years. So what does this mean for us? What's this passage mean for us? There's, there's a lot of rejoicing in Paul's heart because of Rome. It applies to us in that is our commitment to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ known? Is it even there? Are we being faithful to what we know to be right today? I would say yes because you're all here in church. But day after day, week after week, hour to hour, are we doing what we know to be right? Are we being faithful to the calling that God has given to us? Are we being faithful in fulfilling the Great Commission that God has commanded that this church fulfill? Is Lighthouse being an encouragement to our pastor? by the conduct, by, by the way that we fulfill the will of God in our lives, is it an encouragement to our pastor to look up, think about his flock and think, they're, they're going to do what's right. Praise the Lord. Maybe when he goes through some hard times, that, that's what's going to help him. That's what's going to encourage him when he thinks about all of us doing what's right and standing behind him or standing in front of him or standing around him. Maybe it would be even better. We're all gathered around him, all trying to do the will of God together. It's not him out there all by himself. We're all going to stand behind him. Does Lighthouse Baptist Church actively seek to encourage our missionaries by being in correspondence with them? That's, that's so convicting to me when I thought about this. Apparently Priscilla and Aquila had been writing Paul, or somebody from the Church of Rome had been writing Paul. Otherwise he wouldn't have known all those people that were in the Churches of Rome. Somebody was corresponding. They didn't have a phone. They didn't, they wouldn't, somebody wasn't calling him, wasn't telegraphing him. They were sending him letters. Hey, a little update from Rome over here. Derby just got saved. little update from Rome over here. Phoebe, our sister, she, she was out witnessing today, and she brought someone in, and they're receiving the truth of the gospel one step at a time. We think they'll, we think they'll be born again here soon. That's encouraging to our missionaries when they, when they hear from us how the Lord is working here. You think about our missionaries, especially the Joneses right now, living in a country that's at war. It would be good for us to reach out to them, encourage them in the Lord.
Comfort is not just a, a mamby-pamby little, uh, oh, it'd be nice if we just had a little comfort. The world takes it to extremes, okay? But comfort is a spiritual gift that we can impart to those around us, those who we love in the Lord. Are we being faithful in that? People in Rome were, the churches in Rome, they were faithful in that. They encouraged Paul. Maybe he wouldn't have been as effective. I have a hard time believing that Paul would not have still been endeavoring to start churches and plant churches. But maybe, maybe this encouragement, maybe this comfort that he received from the, the people there in Rome, maybe that helped him to be more effective. What are we doing? 